Hello, you're listening to Food Disclosure with me, and I am Rosie Lovell. This week, we are airing a conversation I had with Diana Henry at Soho Radio. I simply love her. She has a column in Stella magazine and has written countless, timeless cookbooks. Diana Henry is beguiling. Before you listen any further, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Series 2 is nearly at an end, and I would so love your feedback. Diana Henry. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we, I feel we've already covered so much. Hi. Thank you so much for coming to see me. Um, I feel like this is kind of a funny one because I was harassing you for quite a long time before you agreed to this, um, to kind of pick your brains about how you get to be Diana Henry. Oh my God. <laughs> now before we start with the kind of... God, my tape is stuck. <laughs> Before we start with the nitty gritty, I have some quick fire questions. Okay. Which kind of get everyone in the mood. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, top beer snack. Oh, those kind of, those really kind of like um, little rice cracker things, but the very, very hot ones. Japanese ones. Yes. Lovely. Poach, onsen, fry, scramble, cure, or pickle your eggs. Oh, for God, I love Nice and crunchy around the edge? Sometimes, sometimes not. It depends what it's going with. But mm-hmm. if it's just on its own, yes, a little bit crunchy and parmesan grated on top. Mm, fantastic. Favourite chocolate? Mm, um, this is awful. Do you know what I really love? I really love um, anything with a fondant filling. Oh. So I love those... Um, perfumed ones that the queen mum used to love rose and violets and i also love coffee creams that so if you could if you can offer me we're talking not about kind of like just plain chocolate but if you say i want to offer you something chocolatey and what will it be that's what i would choose it's kind of like does it feel like christmas and decadence kind of yeah yeah best utensil in the kitchen oh i would not be without a food processor i've got to say and I love my Gadget ice cream machine, which has been on the go for 25 years this month. There's a lot of ice cream in your new book, isn't there? Yes. Mm, it's really good. It's very but I love. But an ice cre- that, that ice cream machine has never failed me. Everything else is broken down, mm. had to be replaced, not that Gadget. gadget and I use it a lot. Mm. Black pudding, yes or no? Oh, yes. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Clearing up now or tomorrow? Oh my god, tomorrow maybe the day after. I'm <laughs> awful. Pudding or cheese? Ah, uh, that depends on my mood. And sometimes I've asked for both. Mm-hmm. Apron or no apron? Oh god, always an apron. I feel naked when I'm not on an apron. I wear an apron to sit at my desk and write. Yeah, I quite often eat in my apron as oh, well. Oh, so do I. Yeah. And when I go to other people's houses for dinner and they're, f- <laughs> and they're mucking about in the kitchen, it's like, it's like, what's wrong? I feel all as if there's kind of water running up the insides of my sleeves. <sighs> and it's just because I'm not properly attired. Mm-hmm. So I will wear an apron in other people's houses for dinner. <laughs> Recipe or freestyle? A mixture, I've got to say, because sometimes I do really use recipes, but I tweak all of them. But I freestyle cook as well. I love it when I don't, when I'm not, because I'm testing recipes a lot. But when I'm kind of standing at the cooker and I suddenly remember that the notebook's always there. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm not testing this. Mm. Uh, that's kind of brilliant because it's like, way well, I don't have to have my measuring spoon or anything. Yeah, and, and just that kind is, of stick to it. Yeah, it's just that is just kind of like brilliant. Then you remember sort of like the cook that you initially will wear mm. um, if you can understand that but it, it's just I usually have to be more 
focused on exactly what I'm doing because I'm usually testing something. Have you got any good podcast recommendations apart from your own? Only, only mine. You mean food? <laughs> Anything. Um, I don't listen to them as much as I should, actually. And this will sound very esoteric. The one that I really like is the Paris Review. Okay, explain it. It's, I mean, it's just essays and it's interviews with writers Great. and it's also readings of short stories. I was listening to it because I, I had that awful lurgy recently and I asked people for lots of recommendations. And for some reason, I thought, oh, I'd like to listen to a short story. So Paris Review was one of the first things I listened to. And um, Gillies, my younger son, was lying in bed with me. Mm. And it was a Raymond Carver story. And it got to the end and he said, gosh, that was a good story. Has he got a publisher yet? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. The fresh the fresh yeah. mind. The fresh eye yeah. on Raymond Carver. Yeah, yeah quite good. Yeah. So that's nice because, I mean, as you're cooking all the time, I imagine you you do listen to things, but I maybe do, not food. I have Radio 4 on all day long. I mean, I turn it off um, usually during Moneybox Live. Yeah, well, actually, I turn it, it off. Anything, anything yeah. kind of consumerist, and it, and it goes off for a while. Yeah. But I listen to music really loudly. Oh, do you? Yeah, do you prefer that? Yeah, and the kids that? hate it. It depends on my mood. Sometimes yeah. I just want chat, and sometimes it's kind of like, you know, music can really get mm. you going. You cook faster. What's your musical... Genre at the minute. Favorite. Oh, I listen to all sorts of things, but at the minute I'm driving the children mad because sometimes <laughs> I hit on things that I used to listen to a long time ago. And I had this boyfriend when I was in my teens, and he used to listen to Todd Rundgren a lot, and we used to listen to it in the mm -hmm. car. So I've gone back to that, and it's kind of like it's weird because it makes you know what music does. It makes you feel like you're 17 again, mm. but the kids are just going, "Oh my god, not him again!" <laughs> you're like and, him or the ex-boyfriend? Yeah. So I have to kind of like, yeah, I, I have to change it up sometimes they listen a lot of music as well so we're always quite there's always quite a lot of rows in the house about who's got the music on and who's playing it loudly yes okay now diana what have you been doing this morning what have i been doing this morning hmm. <laughs> been lying in bed all morning no um 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 i had a medical appointment fine <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so um, not very exciting. Not Rose. very exciting. Okay. Um, have you got a favourite meal from this week, either in or out? Have you been to a great restaurant? Oh no! Last night it was just I had to do stuff very quickly, and um, I had a friend today because she's busy doing photography this week in London, so she stays a lot. She designs my books, so she's uh, she, she hangs okay. around quite a bit. And last night we just had. Um, Fried chicken, fried chicken thighs, um, a lovely salad of um, baby gems, avocado, and spring onions. And I made, I love these things, I made just a completely, and noodles, we have cold noodles, mm -hmm. and a fierce, fierce, fierce hot sauce with um, lots and lots of chilies, fish sauce, lime juice, ginger, garlic, you know, sugar. I think I had almost the same thing from and your book. I love that. I f you see that kind of food? Mm. That hot, sour, salty, sweet thing. Mm -hmm. And my kids really love it as well. And we're all sitting there last night going, oh, why do we ever do anything else except eat this stuff? <laughs> um, I mean, basically, I could just make, you know, one of those fish sauce-based sauces every yeah. time I sit down and fling it over everything. Well, it also, it cuts through the, the sort of lovely fattiness of the no, thighs. No, it's brilliant with that. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds So that was good. last night's. What did we have the night before? Are you in? Oh, the night before we had oh, this was at home. Um, the night before I was testing something else, and I'd never made this before. I did braised pork ribs with chipotle and mm. chipotle chilies, out in adobo and honey and beer. Oh, and they were lovely. Oh, 
Yeah. So were they marinated in the beer? Or no, just no, no, no. They were just, they were braised. And it only took, when you cook them as a rack, it takes a long time. But these just, they were really soft and melting just in an hour mm. and a quarter. So that was mm. fantastic. I was very pleased with that. Quite meaty. Are you quite a meaty person? Um, I love what kids are. I mean, I, when I don't, you know, present meat, it's like, where is it, mum? Mm. And then they try to make me feel, they guilt trip me by trying to make me feel that I don't provide enough iron for them. <laughs> so they're like, kind of like, where's the steak? And sometimes they actually say, we haven't had any steak for a long time. It's like, well, that's because it costs about, you know, seven quid a head. Yeah. Um, no, you, you couldn't just give them vegetables. But I do only eat meat myself probably about three times a week. Yeah. I love vegetables. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, something that I was noticing as I was looking through how to eat a peach again last night, um, I've been furiously <laughs> doing my homework, um, was like how the, your sort of salad bowls that seem to come with every oh, no, meal I love those. are just wonderful. And it reminded me of, um, Nigella wrote um, a thing about green salads and how salads should be green. Mm. Well, when I was in France, that was one of the first things. I mean, that was the best thing I came away from France with after my first trip, which I was just 15 and I went on an exchange. That interlude after the main course and before you go on to cheese where they just had a green salad and it was only one leaf. Not that kind of awful mishmash that we use. Yeah. Uh, and just, I mean, honestly, I think a really well-dressed, and which I meant is not overdressed, yeah. green salad and baguette and cheese i could probably eat that for the rest of my life i love a green salad yeah with good bread and maybe like i think the furthest i would go would be like a radish or a bit of cucumber but never a tomato no i think for that if it's one of those kind of post main course things i would have nothing except the leaves yeah just a beautiful but it's got to be a good lettuce yeah it has and, i mean it has to be can't you got to buy a whole lettuce properly you got to wash yeah. it carefully you got to swing it in your basket you got to <laughs> pat it dry so that the the vinaigrette clings to it better. But I would kind of say it's good to put that into every yeah. meal. But I love salad starters as well. That's my favourite yeah. kind of starter. Well, I always think also, um, I rarely make like a proper roast yeah. it with kind of traditional vegetables alongside meat. Yeah, I always roast a chicken and do a salad and new potatoes. That's um, my favourite. I like that kind of thing of the hotness of the meat softening the lettuce making it completely wilt I don't know yes. what's lovely about that but that's great it's particular I think uh, lasagna is the same for me lasagna yeah. and a slightly warm it's salad. very un-British though that sort of thing of yeah. wanting having a salad beside hot meat you have to kind of bring people into that notion. yes well actually let's talk about that I feel like there is something so persuasive about your writing and I wondered... I don't think it's ever been called that before. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> really? No. You're kind of like... I feel like every paragraph is sort of saying, come with me. Believe yeah. me. Yeah. You know, where you talk about, like, um, bridging flavours... Yes. In, ...in your chicken book. You know, yes. it's like, believe, believe what I'm saying. I know it doesn't sound entirely logical or, you know... I suppose I do think that a lot. I yeah. Think, I think... But I've never kind of sat down and thought what my job is to do apart from yeah. really empower people to cook. I mean, however little they're interested in it and however hard they find it, I want people to think, yeah, let's go and do that. I mean, that is my main thing, mm. however I manage that. But yes, I, I suppose I do. And I think when I'm writing, I think quite often about, well, talking to someone, talking to just one person. And yeah, I'm saying to them, 
oh, but this would be really good. Yeah. You know, why don't you try this? No, I know that it sounds kind of, I know it sounds kind of odd. Or, you know, as you cook over the years, you just work things out. Like the having the bridging thing yeah. that you mentioned between two flavours that might look odd together, but something else helps them to come together. Yeah. Um, and then you, you know, I'm always, I'm kind of aware of those observations. And because I'm, do you know what's really good? Because I'm not trained to do this. You know, I, yeah. I went to Leith's for a year, but I'm not a chef. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have a head full of rules. And, you know, if you start cooking when you're six, then basically you learn on the job. That's what you do. <laughs> the job of life. The jo- well, yeah. So yeah. you learn about, you learn about cooking by observing things, you know, over decades. And then if I've thought something, I think, oh, that's worth passing on. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Well, I wondered also whether... Um, it's something to do with having worked in TV because I find people that work in TV they've got to they've got to get the shot they need. So whether the sun's going down, you know, they kind of keep going. They keep persuading people to stay doing it. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I think I was like that before television. I mm. think you're. I think you're drawn to television now because you want to tell people things. You want to tell them yeah. a story or a point of view. Yeah. And it is kind of, look at this. And actually, you work with Hugh Fanny Whittingstall, didn't yes, you? Yes, I do. And he's a very persuasive person, I think, yeah. in the food industry. He's yeah. championed so many things that are to do with getting people to think in a different way. I think I think being a TV producer was the best training for writing books. Really? Yeah, massively. Because you've got to meet that deadline? Or? Oh, deadlines are just, I mean, yeah. that deadline thing is just important for everything, not just books, but Life. for writing. Anyway, yeah. it's just like, you no, know, because I'm, I'm never late. Um, and I mean, sometimes I'll ask for the odd extension, but basically, yeah. if there wasn't, we couldn't have a blank screen. So you just, whatever it took, you were up during the night if you had to, and you got the program ready. So I have that complete, I mean, and that is so drummed into you. Mm. That is their complete mentality. Mm. But I think to do with... Um, structuring structuring things well and I had to write pictures for programs what used to be called treatments when I worked at the BBC so when I started to write books you know they had to have a treatment and also you think of everything all as a whole so it's not just the words um or the pictures it's the design the feel the visuals Mm. the message everything so one doesn't dominate over any other strand. So you use the same photographer, don't you? Yeah, I've been I've been working with Laura Edwards for the last six books. It's amazing. They are a fantastic yeah. team. I mean, that's the other thing that I, I learned from television and that I really miss, actually. And it's why people say, why are you writing another book now? Um, well, because <laughs> that's what I do. Um, but also, I really miss that collaborative, creative work. So if I'm not doing one, I slightly I feel a bit at sea. Mm. To be honest, there has to be that kind of like bu- bubbling along. Yeah, and um, and it feels very wholly conceived. This new oh, book. they are. It's very. They're always wholly conceived. Yeah, and it was like that right from the word go. Yeah, from I did when I did Crazy Water Pickle Lemons. Yeah. I mean, and and that was I was amazed with that because pretty much if you if you could have if I could have poured that book out of my head straight onto the page it was more or less what I ended up with yeah and that's kind of like the the first book you write is is kind of your whole life up until that point isn't it yes although you use you use it's weird because um with with this book there's a lot of my teenage years and my 20s in it so 
you're always kind of going back and dipping in. It's what makes yeah. you well, actually, and that's another are. thing. The style of this book, um, there are certain introductions where you use the present tense, mm-hmm. like when you're going arriving in the hotel in Turkey mm-hmm. with your son. Yeah, and I find that um, again, it's it's that very kind of persuasive. Come with me feel the same no, thing. It's, it's sort of like it's like a story starting it like a story yeah because you don't you don't always want to start things in the same way so very some of some of the essays in this are quite practical as well they're more yeah. kind of um like how to throw the perfect lunch and it's slightly tongue-in-cheek as well i mean the yeah perfect lunch you're not going to do that nobody really does that well and and I've, I've spoken to some people who have said, oh, well, is that a book about kind of socialising or, you know, in a kind of high-end way? And I've been at pains to explain to them that I don't think it is that. It's not a book about entertaining It's at not all. laying the table. No. I mean, I do say. go into that in the... the it's, not, it's not about rules, although no. there are some guidelines about menus. It's more about an approach, I yeah. think, really. And it's about paying attention to the small things. Yeah, so in that way, I guess it is about the table. I mean, I always make that's sure just that... My, that's just my... It's just how you do but things. that's an approach to life, I think. Yeah. And not just paying attention to those, but getting pleasure out of those. Yes. I think that's... I think if you're not doing that, uh, life is going to be quite hard. Well, also, why are you having people around in the first place? If you don't enjoy the kind of things coming out and... I don't always, though, you know, sometimes I just want to cook. And I have to ask people in order that somebody so, can actually have the food. This is a question that I have for you because I think um, when I cook for people, mm-hmm. I sometimes use it as an excuse to avoid having real conversations. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Because you've got to keep running back to the kitchen and checking something. or I mean, not, not because the food's desperately complicated but things yeah. need doing no I co- I really like it when I go to someone else's um, for supper and I don't have to cook and I don't have to do anything I think right this is a good evening of chat that's brilliant yeah because then it's from for me I think it's well not exactly one or the other but I know that most food writers talk about you know feeding people they regard themselves as feeders they want yeah. people around the table they sort of love the applause um they are never happier than when they think, oh, I've given these people all this largesse and these people are happy because of it. And I'm actually quite a selfish cook some of the time. I mean, last night, yeah, I did that fried chicken and da-da-da and it was it was easy and I got it on the table and I was thrilled because everybody loved it, okay. And, and I was loving it too, but it was all very spontaneous. Sometimes I just want to just cook. I mean, I like the process of it and I'm intrigued to see, will this work? Won't that work? Or I like a particular technique, but I like, it's sort of like with the books. I like this whole thing, this menu, this yes. thing I've conceived as a piece, mm. um, right down sometimes to the cloth I put on the table. I mean, that's really nerdy, isn't it? But, no, but um, I- and then And then, you know, I want, people obviously have to eat it. I can't just put it on the table and it sits yeah. there. But for me, the big pleasure has been in the preparation. The, the preparation, and then everyone turns up, and that's a bonus then. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And it's a kind of, I think it's widely accepted that there is a kind of therapy in cooking. I just think it's very, um, because it's tactile and because it's very sensual, 
I think you're missing out. You, it's part, one of the other reasons I want people to cook isn't just, you know, it's healthy. We really have, and it's right that we have a massive emphasis on health these days. But like, never mind that. Set that aside. Really, I want people to cook every day because even if they're just doing spaghetti with chopped parsley and chili flakes and lemon and mm. olive oil and garlic, they will have gone through that chopping and smelling mm -hmm. and squeezing the lemon as that you know and it's not going to take them very long to do that they will feel better for having done that quite aside from eating it yeah. just because of that process then they will putting a ready meal in the oven yeah a ready meal is just dulling there's something dead about it there's something yeah i mean not only is it sad and i'm not saying they're bad because i have resorted We've all last, done it. Yeah, last summer, everybody was in hospital, it seemed to me, and my family. So I would go to Marks and Spencer's, I'd get home, and I couldn't get that lasagna in the oven quick enough. But um, there just is a, it's it's a better life. Yeah. If you can have those small pleasures. I'm back on the small pleasures again. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally I think, agree with you. I think you. it's important. I think also in terms of health, I mean, there's so much emphasis that the government put on eating less sugar, eating less salt. But what they're talking about is people eating processed foods. If they didn't eat them, yeah. it's not a problem. I sometimes think the emphasis is kind of wrong, though. We talk a lot about what we shouldn't eat. Exactly. Instead rather of what than we should eat. What we should or what, or what Not should, but would be delicious and would be great. Yes. And, you know, would like be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just like what I made last night, for yeah, example. Actually, I brought something for us to eat. We oh. can make lots of oh. uh, noises into the microphone. Well, um, it looks like a it looks like a burger from here. I'm a bit worried now. Uh, you're, you know, it's a, a tricky thing to uh, cook something for you. But I thought tahini, tahini. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so, tahini cookies. Yeah. Look at the size of them. They're, they're quite like, nice and big. They're like massive moons. They happen to be wheat free, incidentally. Why? Because they're rice flour and ground almonds. Right. And they're kind of chewy. Mm. So, what's wrong with eating this? They're kind of peanutty, aren't they? Mm. It's really funny because I've got this weekend in the Telegraph. I'm writing about sesame, and ah. I'm writing about tahini. I'm obsessed with it at the moment. Really? Yeah. Which I think because you've got a lot of Middle Eastern food in your writing. Middle Eastern food was just I mean I went to France and I loved it and then when I moved to London and discovered Claudia Roden and discovered that I could go to the Edgware Road and get everything yeah and was so excited about you know not being in Northern Ireland which is totally <laughs> unexotic and being somewhere where I could get this stuff I mean honestly when I moved to London I felt the world is here mm. and Middle Eastern food was the was the first food that I really started to cook a lot from her book of new Middle Eastern food, I just mm -hmm. cooked my way through it. Mm -hmm. And the bunches of herbs are so much bigger. And oh, it's like they're bouquets. Yes, yeah. everything is. There's so a exuberant. massive kind of like generosity, mm. and there were just particular flavors I completely fell in love with. Well, pomegranate molasses, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but cumin, I just love yeah. cumin as a spice. I mean, it's weird. It smells like sweat. <laughs> I mean, it's not. No, I mean it really you know does. Yeah. It's a really sweaty smell, and yeah. you think, do I like that? But it's kind of, I don't know, it's male and it's earthy and it's really mm -hmm. it's quite sexy as well. Yeah. Though I love it, but those kind of flavours, I really, I really felt. Yeah, for. they speak to you, don't they? Yeah, or slightly. Excuse me, I need to cough. No, I need a <laughs> coughing go for it. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Where's sorry. Where's the coffee? Should have got a glittery Fiorucci coffee from upstairs. 
Um, I think no, we might have been slightly overexposed to it, and that worries me when that happens. Yeah, I mean, I got really oversaturated with coriander actually. Oh God, I love it. But it became a herb that people then put in everything. And that can be too much for me because it is very particular. Or they put pomegranate seeds in everything. Yeah, they do. I did that. I had to do this thing for Noble Rock. We we were asked to kind of, various good writers were asked to come up with words that could be brought into the culinary vocabulary. And mine was pomegratuitous. (laughs) Amazing. But look, there's places they have no business being. Yes. And I feel very guilty about that because when I wrote Crazy Water Pickle Lemons, um, I mean, people have come after me and throwing them everywhere. But mm-hmm. I just, I love the jewelledness of them. Well, and that's a that's a real Nigella thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the jewels that, that crown. Oh, no, they're lovely. And the way they pop and, as well. I mean, yeah. they look wonderful. Yeah. But um, but not have, in everything. They've sort of become bling now. Yes. Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> but I'd like it to calm down and then we can rediscover them in about a decade. Now, in um, How to Eat a Peach, are all the menus quite confined to to the kind of national heritage or do you would you ever do um a a supper where you had like a korean starter and an italian main course no you never would no tell me i can't i do you know and i don't mind if other people do and i don't Mm -hmm. know why i'm like this Mm -hmm. i it just seems dissonant to me although in here there are cuisines i don't know that much about so I love Southeast Asian stuff and I love and I love Japanese as well and there so would is you a- put them together well, yes <gasps> I would you see I would because you I see could- I wouldn't wouldn't you no <laughs> there is a whole menu in there there's a mixture of just kind of what you might loosely Asian. call Asian which I feel terrible about but it's completely normal for me because I know so little about those that I just clutch at all the things I like and put them together and the ingredients are similar yes but I couldn't no, I feel very, I don't mean to be purist, but I end up being purist. But also, it's not necessarily to do with kind of like, don't do it, these are the rules. It's just to do with, if you're cooking something Italian, it's kind of obvious that other Italian things will go, you know, yeah, before or, if you have something or after it or with it. Very spicy at the beginning, that might ruin a main course if it's not super spicy, like a wine, the progression of a wine flight. Yeah, I mean, I can do it, but it doesn't... It doesn't always come naturally. Yeah. So do you? Would you ever do like a? Would you ever do a buffet with lots of different? I did do when um, my um, a boyfriend was fifty a few years ago. I did cook for oh three and a half days for like <laughs> seventy people, and it was all not just Middle Eastern but Mediterranean. So we had so there was kind of Italian, and okay. there was some kind of Provencal stuff, and there was Middle Eastern stuff, and there was Spanish stuff, and that seemed to me. Even within that, there was stuff that, that that went well together. So I still had to consider. Well, and there is a natural yeah, uh, there is trade route absolutely to, to that. Um, so I don't mind mixing those because, as you say, they're kind of okay. like they're all linked in a way, yeah. um, and they and they all looked fantastic. I mean, I kind of like really love stuff that like Yotam does, mm. like stuff that's that's beautiful. Yes, not well, just and for that's the, the pomegranate thing, isn't it? Yeah, but, it does make things look lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then sometimes, I mean. I've definitely cooked things that look beautiful but don't taste beautiful. No, I wouldn't do that. And that was very disappointing. Yeah. I tr- yeah. That's not no. It that's does not happen. The point. Yeah. But I would never do I kind of have an absolute fear of those kind of like British summer buffets with pavlova. I hate pavlova. Yes, you don't like meringues oh, or my. cheesecake, is that right? No. 
I mean, and I sort of do, I like small meringues. Sometimes I think just a little cloud of meringue mm. with with very kind of plain things like a sharp fruit and maybe mm. a lemon curd cream or an elderflower cream or something. And in the autumn, actually, they're lovely with roasted apples and that sort of thing. But I'm not, it's got to have something tart with it. Because you're, you're and cheesecakes, I was going to say, you're more fruity than you are meringue. I'm definitely more fruity than meringue. <laughs> and cheesecakes, unless it is that traditional kind of New York baked cheesecake. Yeah. No, I can't bear them. Well, I mean... The digestive biscuit ones with the kind of... And, well, they've been so co-opted by supermarkets into this kind of like layer of gelatinous jam I, at the top. They're just and, too sweet. Yeah. And I think that that's my problem with meringue as well, really. It, if it's going to be that sweet, it, there's got to be something really sharp with well, it. Well, I think it, your pudding strike me as, as more kind of, um, yeah, like roasted fruit, deep chocolate. I love fruit puddings. Fruit puddings are my yeah. favourite. I mean, I have to make myself. I had to actually encourage myself to do chocolate-based puddings because other people like them. Yeah. And I do like them now. I mean, I kind of like a sliver of really dark chocolate cake or mm, just a bite chocolate tart. But fruit, oh, my God, yeah. I love fruit. Well, cause you, but it always becomes amazing. All you need to do is roast some plums and, and put some yogurt on it. That's it's just it. to think of things to go with it that enhances them. Well, I, I guess think. that's exactly what you've done with the kind of shortbreads and the, the sort of accompaniments. Yeah. Yeah, which is beautiful. But roasting and poaching fruit... I, I mean, I could just do that for the rest of my life and not yeah. make anything. Though I do really like amp fruit tarts. And mm. I find, I mean, I like eating them because, again, but there's got to be the right fruit with the pastry. Like yeah. pears don't have any business in a tart, I don't think. Even a chocolate pastry? <laughs> I've made them, yeah. you know, other people like them. I find yeah. them fine. But you really need something. You need apple or you need apricots. So French, just n- northern France, kind of like Calvados-y. Yeah, I those. just think you need a tart fruit to go with the sweetness in pastry. Clafouti? Yeah, I can do clafouti yeah. with apricots. Again, something that's quite quite tart. Mm. I'm not so keen on one that, you know, the Far Breton, the thing they have there, which is clafouti-like in Brittany, mm. um, but it's got prunes in it. Not, mm. not, not enough tartness going on there for me. Yeah, they're very sweet. I'm always thinking about balance yes. but French patisserie French patisserie can almost make me cry <laughs> no seriously when it's good. I just no I mean not the taste I mean I get moved by looking yeah. in windows where you see these kind of serried rows well just even just the you know the biscuits that are the pastry whatever they're called sable yeah and yeah. you're just like that, of course it's of course that's just, what you do with the pastry it's just that someone puts that much effort in and yeah. also that's immutable. That's been the same since I went to France when mm. I was 15. And, it, you know, if I went tomorrow, it would be exactly the same. Well, that's why Maison Berto no, is always my favourite place to go. It well. doesn't change. And a lot of effort goes into it. And it go, you mean you eat it in, in two minutes. Yeah. But someone yeah. still cares enough. Well, and, it, and when you cook those things yourself, you know how many um, different processes are involved in it because you've got to make the pastry you've got to make the your, frangipan or whatever. yeah the frangipan the, the, the creme pat you know you've got to make a little lovely glaze for the top there's so much work in it so many stages but those are so satisfying to make yeah so do you do that kind of cooking yes i do yeah yeah you like and that. i really love because it's process led and it looks it just looks so beautiful yeah. And, the, and it tastes good as well. I, it's kind of like, I mean, that patisserie is one of those things I just think it's really worth putting the effort into. Yeah, and it's so hard. It's, you know, it's like... It was one of the first things I made, actually, when I was when I started to do more complicated cooking when I was about 
16, when I came back from that French trip, I had learned there how to make um, a French apple tart, but the, the grandma taught me how to make it with creme fraiche and an egg filling. Mm -hmm. So that's the way they made them in that sort of area, and then you dust it, sugar over it. But not very long after that, I, I made, um, I pulled it out of the magazine. I think it was Katie Stewart recipe, actually. But it was a raspberry tart with creme pat and a great glaze. And I can just remember what that was like. I mean, I, I got, um, uh, my mum had a, one of those stands that she put cakes on. I was so proud of it, I put it on a stand. And I just thought, look at that, just look at that. Well, it's like putting a sculpture on a plinth well, if you're elevating it glistening yeah. and it is really that mixture of pastry creme pat really tart raspberries mm. then you have the sweetness of the glaze on top of that i just think that's blissful yeah although apricot tart's my favorite if there is an apricot yeah, so tart that, on the menu that's in your book isn't it, it is yeah yeah that looks summer beautiful. begins with apricot tart yeah. and i wait i do wait every year although i love them just baked as well i love Apricots just baked slowly in the oven with with vanilla bean or with white yeah. wine or with lavender. Or with Lavender's masala. an interesting ingredient because I think some people would be quite adverse to it. I think you just shouldn't. Well, it's quite like rosemary; you just shouldn't use too much of it. Yes, I think yes, that's the trick. Really. Moderation. Now, um, you've written a book entirely about chicken. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, how do like how do you not get really really bored? Do you what? get really bored of chicken? Do you know what? That, it was really strange with that book because everybody said that to me at the end and I wasn't at all. You weren't? No. I really love chicken. Oh, is that and because of... My, my dad really loved it as well. We had a, a lot at home. Yeah. Um, I like the my, bit about the oysters. Yeah. My son's always trying to yeah, look for the oysters. My, I was really taught how to strip a chicken. Yeah, you just really wouldn't. It's I'm a life amazed. lesson. I have amazed Hugh Friendly Whittingstall. It wasn't a chicken, it was a pusa actually. It was at the end of a shoot day. And we were all, oh God, we were, we'd, we'd had, you know what it's like on shoots sometimes? You're staying in these crappy hotels. Mm. Um, so we went out that night and we all thought we needed. We needed greens and plain stuff. Mm. So everybody ordered fish or poussin and lots of salad. And um, he was busy sort of chatting. And then he looked down at my plate. He said, because there were only bones left on it. He said, what did you do to that? And mm. I said, I stripped it mm. as I was taught to. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't leave anything except for the stock pot. Yep. Basically. Quite right. Um, but still, I come up with new ideas for chicken but thighs. There's also an absence of innards in that book. In the chicken book? Yeah. There's no chicken of a pate or... Um, it was about main meals, really. Fine, yeah. So I kind of made that decision that it would be about things that people would cook and it yeah. would be that kind of and, main and course. And you're so right about the thigh thing, though, because it is just... Oh, no, they're brilliant. Why would any... I mean, there are some recipes that call for a chicken breast, but they are few. No, I just... I'm I just never understood that. Person. Also, I just came to cook them a lot when I had my first child. I mean, things happen in life. Um, in your cooking things happen in your life and then it affects the way you cook and again it's it's what you've said then I think oh god I must pass this on mm. um, so when I had Ted he just cried the whole bloody time mm. and I thought I'm never going to cook again I mean it's I'm never going to read a novel again or anything <laughs> but I'm definitely not going to read a book I'm never going to cook again um, so I got used to doing things that I could do with one hand and a lot of that was putting chicken thighs in a roasting tin and having to come up with things that would make 
chicken thighs different yeah. you know on a regular basis yeah. and then I just and they were all, and you put them in and they looked like nothing and then they and then with that miracle of heat they came out looking mm. wonderful and that pleased me every night also because not just because you know I wasn't having to make much effort but that alchemy I mean that never ceases to amaze me the yeah. application of heat what it does to things and without as you say without the huge but that's effort. doing very much at all and that's why I think everybody can cook that yeah. is why I think everybody can cook because you don't even have to saute and put a braise together you can get through life just by doing that kind of thing yeah. I'm, I'm a big roaster actually well and you talk in, in that book about um, is it sort of using like an inch of liquid in the bottom with thighs yes you can do that thing where you're almost kind of pot roasting it yeah but the 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 skin of the chicken um, is on top and you have to oil it and salt it so that it gets crispy. Yeah. But you put, I always use the same size pan. I have this 30 centimetre cast iron pan that I've been using for years. So shallow with a lid. Sh- yes, shallow with a yeah. lid. And I kind of like now know how much liquid to put in that, but within 45 minutes it takes the chicken mm. to cook. Um, that will have been absorbed sufficiently there'll still be juices but it will be you, it'll not be swimming and the them. steam kind of comes through it and moistens well and also you, that's when you can put in your other things and they kind of yeah. suck up the and juices so as well it's so important to use the right pan you have to use one that is that particular yeah. size Fit but but I do also I do the arothe secos you know kind of like pa, well paellas by any other name really those shouldn't be stirred so you you put together your you've got to do a little bit of stovetop work then you put that in the oven with the right amount of liquid and mm. your bomba paella rice and within the specific amount of time that I will you know give in a recipe yeah. you'll put it's done you yeah. know and you don't I mean unlike risotto you must leave them alone yeah and they come out and they're beautiful you can do them and you can do them on the stovetop as well but I do them in the oven I guess lot. there's a kind of like holding your nerve with those sorts of dishes isn't there well because you do think will that work but then you think that's such a lot with cooking look rice at cake, pudding cake batter I mean yeah. look at it yeah it looks awful yeah and especially if it's one of those cakes where, you know, it's what I call a wooden spoon cake. What have you done? You mix ground almonds, olive oil, yeah. um, you know, eggs, the the zest of a couple of lemons. Yeah. What is that going to turn out like? Ba-bam. Heaven. I know. <laughs> and that, that, those kind of dishes are fantastic, I think. Diana, I watched um, your interview at Divertimenti from a few years ago. Um which is about the, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was about the only footage of you online, by the way. You're hard to track down. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> very, very elusive. But you talked about keeping jobs for the girls and jobs for the boys because you were talking about your preserves book. Yes. Your, which I loved. You said, hey, 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 it's the girls that have really done the most preserving. You're not going to take that away from us now. Well, just about that time, everyone... Well, it was just creeping in that kind of DIY. It isn't enough to make, you know, dishes that are in recipe books. Now we want to cure a pig in a bath. And it was like DIY cooking and it was taken further. It had equipment with it and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just got a bit pissed off because it was a lot of it was about, yeah, having to take a filing cabinet and drill holes in it on the patio mm-hmm. so that you can make your own smoker. Mm-hmm. And it was all, it was it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't just cooking, it was stuff that we can bang stuff and we can drill stuff Boys. and we can start fires. And I just thought, get out of it. Because women have been making jam since time immemorial. So yeah. don't think you're now going to go and steal this from us. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and also, I felt that the stuff that I was seeing, you know, the pig in the bath. Mm. Most people aren't going to do that. And who wants it anyway? Um, it's, I mean, well, you see that kind of thing on telly because yeah. you know, everybody gets excited and it's an event and it's kind of, look at the pig in the bath. It's watchable. It's watchable, yeah. Um, but in fact, curing and smoking and preser- making jams and chutneys and stuff, it's very simple. I mean, I didn't, the only thing I did to do that book was I bought a small smoker, a stovetop one, the Cameron one, and I bought an extra preserving pan. And I did everything yeah. with those. So it doesn't have to be all this equipment kind of gathering up. Yeah, and actually I think that's, it can be the thing that's prohibitive, isn't it? Because you think, well, actually I'm not going to cook those things because I don't want to buy that stuff. So all that stuff. You know, and also what am I going to do with an entire pig once I've cured it? I yeah, mean, all the equipment just, in my tiny flat. Yeah, so it was coming back to that thing. This is doable. Don't yeah. get don't get in a stew about it because you've seen all this stuff. Because... Sometimes I just make three jars of jam because I've got mm-hmm. fruit and I think, oh, God, I've got to do something with that because it's, mm-hmm. it's quite soft already. Mm-hmm. And you can even make a pot. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have to be this massive thing where you get a hundred jars out that you've bought off the internet yeah. and you need to don and you need to spend days doing it. I mean, it is like that when you do Seville Orange Marmalade well, because it's they're in at that time. Yeah, but, but also you can do that over three days and it's broken up. It's not three solid days of work. You've just got to keep coming back to it. But I always want to, I always want to kind of say, you can do this. This is perfectly doable. Yeah. yeah. And actually, if I can do it, so can you. Yes, because as you say, I mean, mm. you have done a Leith's course. But I'm a but home you, cook. You don't consider yourself to be... I couldn't have chef to save my life. It's so stressful. It's just, it's fast. Yeah. I'm not a tidy cook. I mean, it's the speed really would, would have been the killer for mm. me. And you're cooking the same thing every day and you're in the heat I mean, it just wasn't mm. for me. What is your relationship to chefs? Because I think I find it interesting looking on social media and I often find myself looking at kind of plates of food from really amazing chefs. And I'm like, oh God, why aren't I doing that? And I'm like, because I'm a cook. I I admire them greatly and I've got lots of friends who are chefs. Yeah. And I, I love talking, I mean, I love Stephen Harris dining at the sports. Yes. Man. He's such a thinker. I love that book. And he's self-taught as well. So it's it's a similar kind of thing from being a home cook, a very enthusiastic home cook, and then working your way up to that level. Mm. But he really likes that kind of food. Yeah. Most of the time, I don't want to eat stuff that's that complicated. I really love home food. Yeah. Um, but I don't... No, I hugely admire what they do. Really am interested in technique. And I and I look at platefuls and stuff, but I very rarely think, I, w- I wish I was doing that. Yeah. You know what you do. Yeah, and I don't like an awful lot of components on one plate. Yes, because it, it, it overfaces the, the cook. It's just a different... It's a bit like I don't want to go out in a ball gown every day, you know. <laughs> I might I might think once a year it's fine. Yeah. But it's just, even if you allowed me to do it every day, I'd still say, actually, I'm fine with a skirt and blouse, actually. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, just no, about a certain mean. kind of I just feel like it's life. all quite... It's all quite grouped together on social media. And like um, more and more chefs are writing books, I think. I think what is not good is the dominance of chef-led television programs and things like MasterChef because Mm. I think that makes people feel that that's the kind of food they're supposed to produce. Mm. And 
I mean, it looks difficult to me. Funny enough, I don't watch those very much. I've got friends who are not very good cooks who watch them all the time, who are not really into cooking, in fact, but they love the programmes. I think that's the demographic of food TV, of that kind of competitive TV. I mean, I watch Rick Stein. I still haven't watched Nigel Slater's um, series on the Middle East. I've got to watch that. But Rick Stein has a persuasive nature. But he's also basically... He's untrained. No, he isn't. He's he's a chef, but he he also comes from the home kitchen. Yeah. Um, So, but the kind of complicated stuff that's done, I'm not very interested in. Yeah. And I don't think that helps anybody to think that they they can cook. Yeah, and I suppose also um, a lot of those chefs use ingredients that really normal people can't source. I mean... Not everyone is going to be able to find monk's beard or whatever it is. No. So it's the techniques more, really, I think, but that gets me and how many yeah. techniques go into one Piping plate. Bag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is, on, I mean, I love that when yeah. I have the occasion yeah. to do it. I'm trying to think, was the last time I had like a fine dining meal? Well, actually, actually I always feel a, a bit disappointed by really fine dining, I have to say, because I want to go, as I was telling you, to Chinatown and you know, get some kind of weird pancake and see them cracking eggs over it and have that whole experience and then get some massive piece of food that I shove down my throat. Oh, I've got to... I can completely say something that completely blows the side of the water, though. Yeah, I've remembered on. my last really great fine dining experience. Um, the White Rabbit in Moscow before Christmas. Oh, I want to talk to you about this trip. And that was unbelievable. And this time last year as well, I was in Copenhagen for five days mm-hmm. and it was fine dining all the way. And it was extraordinary. Oh, I had some so amazing meals. So different to what we know. The- I don't know. I mean, there's still that um, Amas, which has got um, a Californian chef, Matt Orlando, still very much, you know, thought about, worked at, mm-hmm. at different techniques on the one plate, things I had never had before in my life. Some flavours together that I wouldn't have thought of putting together. And mm. I get ideas in these places. Mm. I mean, I will never produce that film. It's like, oh, you put that with that. That's good. Yes. Let me do that, but with this. And put in my another kind of like way. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, th- and you will notice sometimes that people, they pay a lot of attention to texture. And I think it's something that home cooks forget about, yes. actually. Crunchy. So some sort of toasted barley or buckwheat or something on top of something can make a big difference. Yeah. Um, so it's not I mean and that I I mean I came back completely on a high from that trip to Copenhagen and the same thing after the White Rabbit in Moscow. And what were you doing in Moscow? Was it a brand like a work trip? It was a research trip. Yeah, okay. It looked amazing. It was great. I mean, if you just if you decide to go to a new country and I and I love that. I hadn't been there since before the end of communism. Mm-hmm. So was expecting it to be very different. But um, you just go to a new place like that and research it well and then also be prepared to, you know, let serendipity be a bit of a guide as well. Mm. And I try to meet up with home cooks if How? I can. How do you access? Do you have a fixer? No, I didn't for Moscow. Wow. I'm going back to Siberia and I'm going to... They're not going to find things for me, but I need someone up there just in order to get around because I don't drive. Oh. No, I don't okay. drive at all. So it kind of looks kind of difficult to get somewhere like Siberia Um, but I didn't have a fixer for Moscow I just did lots of reading and research and then you you get in touch with people who've got connections there and you say who's there who would it be good to talk to who would it be good to go and eat with who would cook for me Mm. and then it snowballs yeah because you do you want you want the other home cooks don't you yes yeah 
You do want that. You want that. Um, and that you might same... not get all that on the first trip. You yeah, because they back. sometimes, because my husband's a DJ, and if I go on work trips with him, they, uh, there'll always be a club promoter and they'll take you to a place that they think you'd like to go mm-hmm. as a foreigner. And we're right. like, we're always like, no, no, don't take us there. Just take us to like the crap place at the end of your road. The hardest thing to find is the ordinary. Yeah. Because it's very easy to find the Michelin star and yeah. the rave Dubai. You just look on yeah. TripAdvisor exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. And to get into people's houses is very hard, but that's what you're always trying to do. Well, it's what I'm always trying to do. Yeah. And I was doing that before I was a food writer. So can I assume that there is going to be some Russian food Oh, I've been, I've been doing... Um, I've been researching this book for 17 years. What? About food from what you might loosely call the North. Oh. So, Scandinavia, which I... I mean, I started going to Scandinavia as soon as whoever it was that went EasyJet, Ryanair, as soon mm. as they started going. And um, when Ted, my youngest, was just about like, two years old... Mm-hmm. And um, loved Scandinavia, but also was very concerned that when you said, what do you cook at home at night? They'd say pasta and pizza. It's like, so who's curing the herrings then? Mm. Um, And I wanted that kind of home cooking to be recorded. And then I I drove it out wider. So I went to Iceland as well, went to all of the Scandinavian countries, started going to Germany, the Baltic states. Um, And then, of course, Renny Ritzepi came along and made I mean a huge difference of course yeah and that's had an impact but by the time the book comes out I'll also have been able to kind of look at that but Russia is in it as well yeah uh, because it's got links with Finland uh-huh. um I mean I I really I've worried over years about where to draw that girdle around the earth to say this is yeah. the north and I'm not going beneath that and I'm going to cover everything that's here at one stage Alaska, I mean, I went to lots of places in Canada. I went to New Scotia, I went to places like that, and I did a lot of traveling in New England, but it was just too much to fit in America. And you've got to find a common book. theme. Well, you know, that isn't so hard. All the time you see that and you're surprised by it. I mean, especially since the new Nordic has had an impact, and not mm. everybody's cooking the way Rene does, i.e., using. The ingredients, although some people sadly are, because it's a philosophy. It's not we'll just take what's in your kitchen. Mm. Um, but you can, you mean you can see that in Scotland. I mean, it's yeah. had a big impact there, and of yeah. course in in um, Lyles in London and places yes. like that. So it's very interesting to see how it has impacted different places. And then you go somewhere like Russia, and it's like, but I have to stick to the north. And I've been up to the Norwegian Arctic and the Russian border up there, Murmansk, and places like that. Um, I imagine it's quite hard to penetrate those places quite hard i mean I, I think i'm getting there yeah um although you do once once i'd gone to russia just that trip before christmas i just thought i could spend the rest of my life just looking at russian food and learning things well, 11 time zones i mean all of the pla- all of the countries all of the cultures that were part of the former soviet mm-hmm. union and it's astonishing because you know down in azerbaijan you know they're they're doing their their pilafs and everything with aubergines and that's that's mm-hmm. what they're doing there but they also make pilafs up in Siberia but they just yeah. put carrots on it yeah so the cross-cultural oh I don't know what you'd say kind of like filtering that went on and the influencing is massive and I don't think I'll be able to completely untangle it but I'm interested to know what's happening there now in terms of home cooking 
but also looking at what chefs are doing in that new Russian way. So they've listened to Rene and now they're doing their own thing. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I went there on my 21st birthday. Really? Um, yeah, I demanded that my boyfriend take me there because he was trying to take me to Paris. And I was like, no! What, you went to Moscow? Yeah, I was like, I want to go to Moscow! What? We had a dreadful time. Really? Of course. I it's mean, a it hard was, place to be. It was a hard place to be. We didn't really know what we were doing, but I just I just thought it was exciting to go. No, no, it is exciting. It's a lot of work, though. It's not a place for a quick holiday. No, it wasn't very, <laughs> it wasn't very romantic. Um, and um, it just, there were just, like, McDonald's everywhere. Right. Because it was the kind of post-communist yes. yeah. re- response. So I guess it's... I imagine it's kind of going through a next rotation. Well, there's all it just it's they 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 fell in love with Italian food, they fell in love with Japanese food, yes. And now there are these different strands there. I mean, this is just based on one trip, mm. but and talking to quite a lot of food writers. But there are there's the kind of there's the czarist camp who think that we need to look back at the food of that era in order to kind of go forward at all, and we should be loving that because it's you know wonderful dumplings stuffed with scallop mousse and that kind of thing and pies always mm-hmm. pies okay. um but very kind of late 19th century cooking yeah. then there are which is quite fun i think um all the pro-soviets the people who the like the authors of the ccp cookbook um who are looking back with real fondness because three three generations grew up yeah under communism yeah and saw that massive industrialization of what they ate. I mean, kind of like mayonnaise in massive quantities, tin vegetables, tin fish. Uh, but quite a lot of those dishes, you know, like salad olivier was based on a, a French dish that was actually very good. Yeah. So there are places that you can now go in Moscow that are doing that kind of food and doing it much, much better. Yeah, celebrating it. In- and e- <laughs> even people who are really into, who are real kind of serious foodies, that's what they want for kind of, you know, celebration time. That's mm-hmm. what they grew up with. Mm. Then there is a farm-to-table movement, which other strands in this kind of struggle mm. um, are very critical of because it's expensive. And yeah, they don't think they pay. They don't think they pay the farmers well enough, but they think the people who eat it as well. You know, and you can sit in these restaurants, and they don't. It's not that you're surrounded by oligarchs, but it's clearly kind of hipsters who are making yeah. a lot of money in um, techie things. Yeah. Um, but the I, the food that I had at those kind of restaurants was absolutely delicious. Lots of pumpkins. There was an aw- <laughs> and I love pumpkins. There was an awful lot of pumpkin. And then there is the new Russian, mm. and. Um, I nearly didn't go to the White Rabbit because, again, you know, one of the world's 50 best, very fine dining, not cheap. And then I thought, you know, I'm in Russia and it's before Christmas and we ought to go and experience this. And I was completely blown away Mm. because, and this is when, this is when I think fine dining is absolutely fantastic. He is going back into Russian history to look for inspiration, but also to his own childhood um, to all of the kind of different bits of Russia where you can source from. And that's kind of, to talk about the local there is slightly ridiculous because it's vast. And also looking at fairy tales and stories um, for inspiration to create dishes. And it was one of the most poetic meals I have ever had. I mean, it was very strange because we go in there and it's, you know, it's coming up to Christmas time. And it's on the 16th floor. So there's this massive arch window looking all over the skyline of Moscow. 
um, and they're playing Frank Sinatra. And all of the, it's very bobbly. There are baubles everywhere. And on every table, there's a snow globe that you can wind up. And it plays music while the snow is fluttering. Okay. And the whole kind of design um, aesthetic is very weird because it's about rabbits, but they're scary rabbits. I mean, it's not, it's kind of Alice in Wonderland odd, but then with a layer of violence on mm -hmm. top. There are these pictures of these rabbits. I took, I took one of them. My favorite one was this little sweet looking bunny with kind of, she's wearing a little dress and she has a little lace <laughs> collar and she's holding a little knife. Um, so it's all it's it, they're playing a lot. It's like a collective consciousness. Yeah, of and it's Russia, kind of like, oh, this is just mad. This Russian thing myth. together is just mad. Um, but we started off with sea urchins with sea buckthorn sorbet in a shell with seawater in it. So you start at the Russian seaside. Yeah. And then there were dishes within the meal that reminded me of things from my childhood, even though they had no business doing that. That was odd. Mm. There was a kind of thick breadish soup which was much nicer than that sound with fermented tomatoes in it and it really made me think of the those kind of squashed tomato sandwiches you have on picnics when oh. you're little <laughs> yeah, but i love those slightly warm yeah yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. there was just something so it's like presumably i don't know where the inspiration for that came from but when you are looking at someone else's stories as a chef and it, they're attached to your own. It's like, yeah. How did that happen? Well, that's because they're clever, isn't it? And then you get to the... Well, sometimes I think it might just be serendipity. Yeah. And we got to the end and the last... Well, the last kind of pudding course was a uh, pan perdue of Borodinsky bread. So it's got that coriander seed thing. I love that bread. Mm -hmm. With a mousse of the bread and a sour cream ice cream. And um, more seawater and some black garlic. Um, I didn't know about the garlic... But that was very, there was something about that which was like a forest then, of course, because that's what Borodinsky bread makes me think of. So you started at the Russian sea hide, seaside, you ended up in this Russian forest, still with almost rainwater, like, mm. around you. And then he had made, I don't know how he did this, but there were little casings that were made to look like um, sea buckthorn berries. And he had put sea buckthorn juice into each one of them. So these came with, in a box with twigs. So you had those. Then you had um, herb willow tea mm -hmm. and herb willow honey, which is not odd at all, but that's just very Russian. And then at the end of all this, and this is the kind of thing that if I read about it, I would think, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> but they brought this box of smells. So they bring this wooden kind of coffer to your table and they don't tell you what they are. And there are four smells. And you get to smell each one of them and you take home the one that you want. And these are smells that he distills from different, not quite foods, but mostly foods. You'll, you'll see why I've said that. Yeah. On the floor below. Oh, God. So we smell them. And my friend Miranda, she goes, I'm having this one because this smells like 1970s Cornwall, basically. And then we bumped into a photographer. Social media is so wonderful. We only knew that he was there because we saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so... Christian had um, he took this, the other one. It's, it made him it made him think of South America, and the one I chose, I just thought, my God, this just smells like Russia to me. This is absolutely Russia. Mm. And be, even before they told me what, what I said, can I get more of this? You know, if I write to you, will you send me more of this when mm. I go home? Because mm. it's like I want this smell forever. So you could just open it and be back there for yes. a moment. Yes. Mm. And um, Miranda's turned out to be marijuana. <laughs> And and Christian's was fechwa, 
and mine was Borodinsky bread. There you go. Which Simple. is the smell of Russia to me. Yeah. And it's, we left that place on such a high. Mm. I mean, because it had been inventive, because it had been about your own memories, this other country. There was so much to think about as well as taste. And then the smell at the end, it was just, it, the whole thing had been a completely sensual yeah. and delight. Yeah, that, uh, it feels like that's what your travelling is all about and your writing is all about kind of bringing those things to other people. But that is when you get a great chef. Yeah. That is also what they can do. It's beyond the food. Yeah. It's like, my God. So what have you taken, for example, if you have, from that meal and put into a kind of domestic... Um, what I would, what I would take from that, that's difficult because I'm still thinking about that. Yeah. I want to do, I want to do a version of that soup with fermented tomatoes. Mm. Um, and you do this thing, whether you think, shall I ask the chef for that and then make it different? Or shall I try and make, quite often I guess things. I would find it difficult yeah. to guess that. But taking it down to a completely, a level which is much more homely, I probably will put a Borodinsky in yeah. the book with the sour cream ice cream yeah I do lovely think. well because brown bread ice cream yeah no that works that works yeah. and I could explain where that came from it will not have the effect on any eater doing it that homely way that it did at the end of that yeah of course that meal but that is something I don't think home cooking very often does that yeah it can't emulate it it can yeah it can't take you to those I mean not all fine dining is like that sometimes it's just like I mean, it's the opposite. It's just dead on the plate. Yes. And the elements don't come together. And you yeah. wonder, why the hell has anybody bothered with this? Then, it's just technique. That's all you get is technique. And you could admire that. But it's whether a meal can move you to the extent that yeah. that one did me. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed your uh, podcast with Ruby Tando. Yes. That was very good. Um, I wanted to talk to you about shopping. Because oh. you guys talk about supermarkets yes. in that conversation where do you do your shopping quite a lot of people are asking me this these days it's kind of like it's the it's the question to is it i love shopping that's why it's been really polarized that's what really bothers me yeah because i talked to ruby about that well and she's sort of pro supermarkets and i understand why yes so do i but i don't agree with her i think most people when it comes to shopping are in the middle yeah i use ocado Mm-hmm. partly because I don't drive and mm-hmm. I get deliveries from them. Um, I get quite a lot of stuff online. Um, I've got a fishmonger not too far away from me that I use. I've got a good butcher as well, but he's two bus rides away. So sometimes I use, they're very good. Sometimes they will deliver for me. Sometimes I get stuff from Turner and George. Mm-hmm. I don't buy red meat from the supermarket or pork. Why? it's awful yeah I don't think any of it tastes good enough do you know what you're so right because I got some belly pork strips the other day and it really isn't I try very hard not to be snobbish because I don't think that's what food is about at all no but if you're buying that much fat that's where all the flavour is and the flavour was not good it's just that I'd if I can I would rather spend more money and eat those kind of things less often yeah. and have them taste of something yeah and I gotta say even even my sons you know they, they can easily tell the difference yeah um 
And I buy most of my fish at the fishmonger as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, kind of like pretty much all my fish at the fishmonger. Sometimes I get salmon fillets from the supermarket. And spices and that kind of oh, thing? Oh, um, I'm always on sous chef. I'm terrible. Sous chef. I okay. Mean, they're just, because they've got everything. Yeah. And, it's, and I tend to, I get complaints. I mean, your town must have it worse with the people who don't want that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, but then they're reading the wrong column. Yes. Well, you <laughs> know, on. I don't ever but suggest interesting, interesting, and in inverted commas, ingredients just for the hell of it or because I want it to be, very, you know, very different or let's just have this because it's trending. I honestly am very interested in flavour. Yeah. And, and, and that's partly because I grew up somewhere where there was, you got the basics. Yeah. And you had to try very hard to find anything unusual. Mm -hmm. um, so I've 